Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers over on Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's the other lore aficionado over, or lore writer anyway, over on Blizzard Watch. He's an aficionado too. We should, you know, give him credit for that. That would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hello, everybody. How you doing? I'm trying not to cough. I, I don't know what's going on with the air around here, but it's making my throat really sore. You so and I'm, me both. Ugh. I but I don't have any reason Winter. for this. Yeah, it's just dry or whatever. So yeah. I've been trying to do that. I did a bunch of stuff in WoW, which has me kind of curious about one thing, but maybe we'll talk. I think we're going to talk about it in the show. So I'll, Okay. I'll All right. Well, we'll get to that soon enough. Also with us, we've got our other lore aficionado, and that will be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hello, everybody. How you doing? Well, it's a better weekend than last weekend, so I'm going to take that as uh, as a good thing. L- last weekend, uh, my dog Sylvanas got out in the middle of my charity stream, uh, so I had to end it early to chase her, and that was not fun. Oh, no. You found her and everything, though, right? Yeah. She, thankfully, she's old, slow, and fat, so okay. like she didn't, she didn't get too far. I was going to say, last few pictures that I saw, she looked like quite the chunk, so... She, okay. she is very chunk. Not not too spry puppy run down madly down the street. Wah, get no. away. Okay. Well, that's See, good. Our cat Sasquatch likes to get out, and he actually is really, really fast, but he doesn't understand cold. Like, once it gets to, like, the snowing temperature, he's confused by it. And that's the only reason So it's like two steps out like the door, times. then wait, something is wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, our younger, dogs, our younger dogs like that. If it's raining or snowing, she does not want to be outside. Well, it's like he'll go up to the window like when it's really cold out. We leave the window open a crack because the heat in this place is weird. He'll go up to the window and like put his paw and then the cold air will hit the paw and he'll pull the paw back and be like, wait a minute. And he'll do it again. Like this time it'll be different. Oh, nope. Still cold. Nope. Nope. Why is it still cold? So, yeah. Um, the Nothing dog about it. this is good. <laughs> yeah, the dog loves the cold. We could take her for a walk on the snow. She absolutely like loves it, but she gets it balls up in her fur. So we can't, like, we have to put, like, rubber boots on her to, to take her, like, when it's snowing like this. So, yeah, we, we worry about her, but the gate keeps her in, at least. The cat could get right over it, so that's why we worry about him. You know what keeps me in? My driveway. Needless to say, it's been <laughs> snowing all day, and I'm looking forward to a good three or four days, at least, of being shut in my house. Because <laughs> I have no way to get out. We have a truck. We're trying to fix it. But the, the lore will keep you warm, though. Yeah, sure. Also, we've got a wood-burning <laughs> stove, so that's a bonus, but it's like, if I want to go into town, yep, nope, never mind. <laughs> it's not happening. We're trying to fix the uh, other truck that we've got here. It's just, the battery apparently froze, so yeah, there's a lot of nonsense going on. Speaking of nonsense, let's talk about lore. <laughs> that was a good segue. Um... This week, we're going to go ahead and just jump right into you guys' reader emails because we did get quite a few, and you know us. We're not going to get through all of them. There's no way. We're just going to tangent. But if you happen to have an email for the show, you can email that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just put lore watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. So let's just go ahead and jump right in here. Um, I don't think we have to worry about any spoiler or anything because nothing's on the PTR at the moment, and everything's been out the only stuff that hasn't come out yet is the battle of Dazara lore and that's not until later this month so i don't think we're going to even really touch on that either um so i don't think we're going to run into too much spoiler material here but 
it's lore watch just in case just you know keep in mind there might be all right uh let's see here first email is from spry sprocket and no more lock on proudmore us who says Greetings, watchers. I was playing through the Horde side of Battle for Azeroth, and the interactions with Bonsamdi got me wondering why a Loa like him might have told Vol'jin to put Sylvanas in charge of the Horde, given how much he hates the undead. Oh, we might actually be getting into spoiler material here, actually. I spoke too soon. Anyway, um, moving on. It occurred to me that since Vanilla, Sylvanas has been quietly building her strength by raising more undead and fortifying her defenses. Her ambition has been held in check by the various war chiefs up till now, which has in turn kept her from being a priority target to the Alliance. It's not hard to imagine that under those conditions she would have kept quietly gaining more followers and strength until she was able to outright crush the Horde and the Alliance with an unstoppable wave of undead and blight. But as the war chief, she's had nothing to check her ambitions and rein in her brasher instincts. Since becoming war chief, she's outright attacked multiple alliance leaders, instigated a fight with the Valajar in the middle of a legion invasion, destroyed two capital cities, one of which was her personal stronghold, and brought the might of the entire alliance down on her own head and the heads of everyone allied with her. She's even managed to turn one of the staunchest supporters of the Horde against her and stir up an insurrection. If the Loa wanted to guarantee Sylvanas was wiped out before she could destroy the planet, putting her in charge of the Horde too early seems to be the way to go. Thoughts? Spry Sprocket, no more Lockproud, more U.S. Um, Ordinarily, I'd ask for like an actual direct question instead of just a thoughts with a question mark, but this actually raised some pretty good points that I thought maybe we should talk about. Especially the idea that the Loa put Sylvanas, told Vol'jin to put Sylvanas in charge specifically to put her in harm's way and maybe get rid of her. I don't know. What do you guys think about all this? Well, I mean, you already mentioned the spoilers involved in this. Um, we know from the quest line that Juan CMD didn't tell him to do anything. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't well, Juan CMD's idea. Yeah, and the the thing to also keep in mind is something that Rossi and I and Anne, you, you, we've all brought up multiple times. Loa doesn't necessarily mean the same thing for every creature that has sort of that power level. It's just sort of a catch-all phrase for really, really powerful thing in troll language. Like, it's okay, almost like a really dispute... powerful otherworldly thing. Sure. I would dispute that it even has to be particularly powerful. Um, right, it's something that... Trolls... Trolls call wisps Loa. Right. So well, fair that, enough. Fair enough. So it, it's a it's a catch-all term for things of another world. Yeah, but Whether are the wisps really weak, dream? though, Rossi? Because if you look at I'm it... I'm not saying they're weak. I'm just saying they're not, you know... I mean, they blew up Archimond. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, but they're certainly not... Individually, they're not a being, but they're considered to be Loa. The That's kind of why I put the used... otherworldly tag on yeah. that. Yeah, I think they just seem to, it doesn't matter. It's just a we looking at the world. Like that we have this world that we live in and then there's the next world that's kind of connected to it. And they don't seem to like worry too much about which one it is. Whereas and then, they don't, you know. And we, we sort of have precedent in the, the history of Warcraft 2 that, you know, other otherworldly beings can speak to living creatures or dying creatures on our plane of existence. You know, we, we've seen that with, you know, elements of the Burning Legion that have done that and, you know, elements of the light that have done that and elements of the void that have done that. Like, this is not a unique thing. So it could have been literally anyone. So it maybe not necessarily Wamsamdi. And then we have to go to the other section of, did they really want Sylvanas to be put in harm's way? Or is this part of a bigger plan or a bigger scheme? 
Yeah, it seems one of the possibilities could simply be that they like when, you know, the mortal world is embroiled in conflict because that means they don't have to worry about them coming after them. We've seen what happens when the Horde and Alliance put aside their their fighting and go after other things. They can bring down even the largest, most powerful forces. If you want, like, if you have plans, it's really not a bad idea to get them to fight each other because then they'll be too busy to fight you. Um, I do think it's kind of an interesting take, though, because it's kind of the opposite of what we had been thinking, because I don't know about you guys, but the assumption, I shouldn't say the assumption, the running theory that I had been going with was it wasn't Buon Samdi that said, hey, put Sylvanas in place as war chief. It was something else that really wants Sylvanas in control for some reason, because it's working for whatever that bigger boss happens to be and, See, part and of me... whatever it is wants Sylvanas to run over the world and, and, and make her undead playground or whatever the heck she's up to. But the idea that something would come to Vol'jin and say, Hey, put her in charge, not because necessarily it wanted Sylvanas to succeed, but because it wanted to kickstart this thing in which Sylvanas would fail and be taken out before she could do too much damage. Part of me wondered if this was, this is something that after our last couple recordings I thought of, if this wasn't maybe Helia, because she's definitely otherworldly, she's definitely powerful enough to do it, and we don't know, we still don't know the constraints of whatever deal she struck with Sylvanas. What if this was all part of her plan to make Sylvanas beholden to her and put her in a position where she could get whatever she wanted to continue whatever task she needed to do? Because we know she's not dead. Like, we know she's not she's not gone, at least not for long. We don't know what her deal was. We don't know what she's doing. But it also, I, just, I just had a really weird idea. <laughs> I was going to say, but it also it also sort of war and souls going to the afterlife seems sort of like her thing, too, especially if she's raising an army. Okay, so let's just put that on pause for a second, because I just came up with something and I went, <gasps> okay, Sylvanas has made a lot of deals, hasn't she? Yep. She made a deal with the Valkyr. She made a deal with Helia. She's probably made deals with other things, right? Um, Safe assumption, yeah. What if we're looking at the wrong thing that she made a deal with? The Valkyr wanted to bond with Sylvanas because they wanted to get out of the scope of the Lich King. That specific, they couldn't leave. They couldn't leave the Frozen Throne because they were bound to that entity, right? So instead, they 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 bound themselves to Sylvanas, right? If they can bind themselves to other creatures, what if suddenly Sylvanas really isn't in their best interests anymore and they would like to find something else, but they can't because the terms of the agreement? Well, especially because we know that when they do their thing, they cease to exist. Yeah. So they've been sacrificing themselves one by one by one by one. Who's to say they're not trying to find a way to get out of that you know what i mean because these guys weren't created these guys weren't created by 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 um oh my gosh prove yourself odin they weren't created by odin or anything these are the ones that were created by the lich king they were Mm -hmm. created by that creature so of course what are they going to reach to they're going to reach to the thing that's like the lich king but mobile and maybe that's why they saw a bond with Sylvanas was because she was kind of leaning down the same road as their creator. 
because she is. I mean, we can't really deny that. The stuff that Sylvanas has been doing has been getting closer and closer and closer to the actions that Arthas took, that the Lich King took, without completely crossing that line, but it's edging, like, just right there by that line, um, complete with raising her own armies into, like, mindless undead, just because she can and sending them against the Alliance and that whole battle for Lordaeron thing. Those those entities, those undead entities that she raised, they're still out there, by the way. If you go out to Tiraswalt Glades right now and try and walk through the battlefields, you will find all of those little undead dudes just kind of running around. They're not doing anything. They aren't smart. They're just there. It's like another scourge. It's Sylvanas's scourge. It's her version of the scourge. And it's kind of terrifying when you think about it. So what I'm wondering is... Are the Valkyr looking to get even further away? Is that is that even a possibility at this point? And I guess that just kind of depends on the terms of the deal that she made with them, yeah? Well, I guess the other question I have, too, is we know that we know how the Valkyr, or at least we, we suspect how the Valkyr were made if we take whatever we saw from, from Odin and, and Stormheim uh, and we take that at face value and there's nothing else. But we know that he got that information through Helia but we don't know how the Lich King got the information how to make them, right? Like, we had, that's the, the line that we're missing. What if, without the Lich King there binding them, they're now working for whatever was that... Let's say they're never actually working for Sylvanas. What if they're getting their instructions from whatever ultimate power gave that knowledge to Arthas, to the Lich King, to make them in the first place? I mean, it just seems like a really terrible deal to make, the one that they made with Sylvanas. They were like, yeah, we'd like to get out of here, so we'll bind ourselves to you. And in return, if it ever comes to a point where, you know, you almost die or whatever, we'll sacrifice ourselves to save you. Like, what's really in it for them beyond, oh, that's... we can take a stroll away from Ice Crown. That doesn't well, seem that's... like... That's kind of why I'm wondering if there's something else at play there, because if the... one of the things yeah. that we were talking about, we are talking about, I want to say, like, three or four episodes ago... Like, Azara and Old Gods, they play long games. Like, that's their thing. They don't think in terms of a week from now. They think of in terms of, like, a thousand years from now. This this small pebble that I push down the mountain will then become an avalanche, right? That's the way that they sort of work. Whatever, maybe they're not bound to Sylvanas. Maybe this was all part of a long game. Like, keep her alive long enough to get her in this position to do the things that we need her to do because we can't directly interfere with the material plane or whatever the case is. Like, it just, it I'm, just wonder, I'm wondering if there's a me, bigger thing in the background. It just occurred to me, though, while I was thinking about it, that here these creatures are. They bound themselves to Sylvanas specifically to get away from the Frozen Throne. And what's been happening all along, ever since then? I mean, two of them kicked the bucket right away in Silverpine. Just like, boom, boom. Right? And as time has progressed, more and more of them keep dying for her. Well, why are they dying for her? Why are they even indebted to her like this? Like, what's the point? Are they happy about it? Are they unhappy about it? Look at the one that just died during the Darkshore campaign. That probably was terrible. You know? Guys, guys, um, something has been occurring to me the whole time you've been talking. Yeah, go for it. Spirit healers are Valkyr. Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah. That. No, they, no, are, they are straight up. They, they're Valkyr. Yep. Okay. They're the Valkyr who were released from Odin's influence, but did not side with Helia. Oh, they yeah, that's right. And, they were they went off into the Shadow Realm, the lands by themselves. 
they occasionally raise people from the dead for their own reasons. And sometimes they pop out and make out with blue dragons. dragons. Yes. <laughs> but, no, seriously, though, think about this for a second. It's possible for them to not need, the, when they were released from the influence of Odin, they did not side with Helia, and they just dwell alone in the Shadowlands. So, why do the Valkyr need to be bound to anyone to leave? Well, these well, guys, keep in mind that these guys were created by the Lich King. They weren't created by yeah, Odin or Helia. Yeah, they're still... Valkyr. I mean, mm. they're not different. Is there... I think there's... The issue here It might be that they have designs on the world of the living and not the Shadowlands. Maybe. Because the, you can... you The spirit healers don't need to be bound to anything. But the consequences, oh. they can't Oh, act. Rossi! Rossi! If everybody was undead, why would you need a spirit healer? on the other side you wouldn't they could just go wherever (laughs) they wouldn't need anybody to usher they wouldn't need to usher anybody Um, it's that necessarily good for them like they would they have any job no but they'd be set free to do whatever the heck they wanted to do right but they're doing what they want to do now spirit healers are valkyr aren't Maybe the Lich King's Valkyr that became Sylvanas' Valkyr might want to kill Okay, but what I'm saying is, like, the Valkyr, their purpose pretty much was to usher people from life to death, right? No. Their purpose was to usher people from death back to life. (sighs) That's what Odin made them for in the first place. The entire purpose of the Valkyr, including Helia at first, was to bring worthy souls back. Because remember, he he wanted to create an army. He wanted the Velajar, yeah. Yeah, but he didn't have a means to get the souls back to put in the bodies. Like if he if he didn't he didn't have a way to get worthy people to put in the bodies, and that's why he. I just keep going back to I just keep going back to Odin making this deal with this weird creature from the Shadowlands that we know nothing about, right? And when he said, "Okay, somebody's got to be the first Valkyr," hey, Helia, how about you? And she said, "What? No," and he did it anyway. The thing is, is what really gets me about all this is we've been assuming that the Valkyr are dead once they make the deal with Sylvanas, once they actually bring her back and they're sacrificed in the process. Are they? What or if do they exactly just go to the want? Shadowlands and hang out? Yeah. Now are they're they finally free? free? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Is this See, how they I'm, get out uh, of the influence of the Lich King? Because the Lich King still exists. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, it's not like they got released from the influence of Odin by Helia. But nobody freed them from the Lich King except Sylvanas kind of has. Sylvanas has played the Helia role. She's been the one that they sided with. But now if they're making the sacrifice and bringing her back, they get to come, they get to go to the Shadowlands and now they're free entirely. And we, we also have the fact that we know that one got killed. You just mentioned this. One of them got killed in Darkshore. Yeah. But that one didn't get to raise anyone from anything. That one just died. And yeah. we know that there's also that there were the nine original ones that made the deal and then there were lesser ones that weren't powerful enough to raise sylvanas those lesser ones we don't know what they're up to either there's a lot going on here if we're talking about the valkyr my thing my thing is this right in all of our talk about the valkyr and what they're doing and who they're binding with and all this other stuff it all goes back to their origins they weren't meant to be they were made to be and maybe they don't want to be made to be that anymore and maybe this is all part of some grand thing where they get out of that tangle that they've been stuck in since Odin said, hey, yeah, I'd like Valor Jar. How do I do that? 
maybe there are entities that just want to be free of whatever obligations they were set to. Maybe they want to rest, you know? Whatever ha- we know that Anhild Anhild the caller, I think her name was Anhilda. Yeah. Anhilda, I can't. Yeah. She's the one that made the original deal with Sylvanas and took her place in in the spirit world. Yeah. She's the one that allowed Sylvanas to come back originally. Which, for all we know, she's the one behind everything because that was her plan in the first place. And she was perfectly you know, okay with volunteering. Hey, I'll stay put. You can go back to life. It'll be great. But I'm going to make this noble made, sacrifice yeah. for you. Yeah. Was that a noble sacrifice? Yeah. Was that a noble sacrifice or was that a, ooh, here's my get out of jail free card. I'm going to make sure we're all lined up with one. And the the Brinja, Brinja is the one who died in Darkshore. She's the one that raised Delarin and Syrah. Mm-hmm. And then she got killed by Taronda. That was her name. I looked it up. Yeah. Um. So she's one of the, the nine. So, yeah, there's, I feel like there's more going on here than we're even like aware of. Like. We still, as, as Joe pointed out, we don't know how the Lich King figured out how to do this. Did he just reverse engineer it? Did, like, how did that work? Did he just go around trying to turn make things into Valkyrie until he did? Uh, did someone tell him about it? If so, who? And um, I, it, the reason that that's really intriguing to me too is going all the way back to like the starting zone for Death Knights, which is sort of this quasi Shadowland-ish type area. Like, they call it the Shadowlands, but it's not like... You go into the Shadowlands to get your pony. You do. You also go in there for, for several other things, and there's shades and whites and, and, and things in there that, that even though you are an agent of the Lich King, don't like you very much. So, I mean, I'm curious I'm curious if that has something to do with it, or if it's something that, like, this is stolen information from the Lich King, or that the Lich King stole, or whatever, from the entity in the Shadowlands, because obviously he has influence there. Obviously that entity can touch there and it doesn't seem to like him very much. So, well, the whole reason that I brought this up is because we assume, because this is what Vol'jin said, that the Loa came to him, right? And they told him Sylvanas's name. The thing is what other creatures come to somebody at the moment of their demise and have a chat, the Valkyr, they did it with Sylvanas. She threw herself off the frozen throne, and that's when they appeared to her. You know what I mean? I mean, like, definitely a they, possibility. They, they appeared to her after she had done it, and, and she was floating in the darkness. They appeared to her and said, hey, we've got a way out for you. Yeah, and I mean, the the other thing, though, that, that with the Vulgin stuff that kind of gets me is it could, it could potentially still be, and I, and I talked about this a while ago, there is still the possibility that it is simply just a, like one of the traditional Loa that's behind his vision, too. And the only reason I say that is because in the books, when the Lois stopped talking to him, the first one that talked with him afterwards, the first one that started giving him visions was High Reek. And now we know where High Reek sided and we knew what he was all about and what High Reek was doing. You know, there, there literally is an entire zone dedicated to the aftermath of that. And it's entirely possible that it doesn't have anything to do with the Valkyrie. It could be entirely possible it has nothing to do with the Lich King or Helia or the Shadowlands. And it could simply be old god stuff, and it could be. It could be, but the whole reason—the whole reason that I'm kind of pulling in the whole Valkyr element—is because they told him Sylvanas. They told him Sylvanas for a reason. Whatever it was he spoke to, they said Sylvanas, and there was a reason they said Sylvanas. And how much, how much has Sylvanas really had any contact with any kind of Loa or anything? Well, not see, at all. here's the thing: we we don't actually know if they said Sylvanas or not. 
We know that they said something that made him think it was Sylvanas. But the problem with that is if you'd said a certain last name. They could have been talking about Alaria. Or Varisa. Or Varisa, yeah. I'm not saying that they were. I'm not saying that's what happened. But it's the problem with this kind of stuff. We don't actually know exactly what he heard. Even now we don't. Even after they put the quest in. So it's it's one of those situations where there's a lot of possibilities here that we don't really have any way to like know what they are. Um, hmm, I think here there's just that I do think that there's something interesting about the whole idea of the Valkyr being up to their own schemes. It's just it, you know it, what I actually just I just went back. Like, yeah. Well, I just went back. Uh, he didn't refer. Rossi's right. He didn't refer to her as Sylvanas. He referred to her as Windrunner. And mm. and so there is that there. Like he did not specifically say Solanus. He specifically said Windrunner. Well, and I know that there were some people who were like, "Oh, he was talking to an entity of the Void," because you know you have the whole thing with Alaria and the Void and all of that other stuff. But that doesn't make sense either. I don't know. I just I feel like there's more there to be looking at. And the fact that we are still getting quests with Vol'jin, like we're still getting quests where we're kind of exploring that and trying to figure that out to me that says there is some significance to it and there's some significance that we missed yeah i think that's fairly again without going too much into spoilers for it they have they lay out that there's something going on with volgian that he is not what he was that he isn't just a ghost or anything there's there's more going on so yeah there's there are definitely, definitely holes in his memory like he doesn't remember everything kind of a interesting key point too well, anyway, Spry Sprocket, those are our thoughts. <laughs> they are long and convoluted. and We kind of went off on a million tangents, but there they are. And now we have more stuff to think about. I feel like there's something. There's just, there's something there that we're missing. And that's why Blizzard is taking us back to it. That's why they have that storyline in there is because there's more to it. And I keep going back to the Valkyr just because they're that other entity that whispers to things after, you know... It could be called Loa. The trolls call a lot of things Loa. So it, it I don't know. It just, uh, there's something there. Anyway, next email. This is from Verdigree, who says, Hello, this is Verdigree, Undead Frostmage of Dollar and Server again. I was wondering if maybe the story reason our characters are able to jump around different times in different expansions is that we never left the caverns of time and we just never noticed or something similar. What do you think? Maybe that's why we were able to do what Ellison thought was impossible, even though she could see through time. Wishing you the best for a degree. P.S. Maybe this is what makes our characters get mad at Chromie and it really was future us trying to get revenge. Uh, what do you guys think? Are we in a giant quantum leap situation <laughs> where everything I mean, we're doing is just like we're we're trying to make the leap home, but <laughs> we aren't aware of it because we don't have a Ziggy <laughs> or an I, owl? I mean, I, I do think it's interesting that the player base is never going to let this go um, because, I mean, it seems pretty straightforward to me that the reason you jump through time is because the the expansions were when they were. And you just don't really have a choice. Otherwise, there would be nothing to do. If everything you did was after all that stuff we just did, then you literally would just have to start at like 110 and level to 120. It'd just have to be default for everybody who starts a new character. Um, but, I mean, obviously that's not lore. In terms of the Caverns of Time, I don't think the Caverns of Time are stable enough anymore for us to be trapped there constantly time traveling. It definitely feels like 
there's not a lot of control there. Does that make sense? Like the dragons don't really have the, the, the mojo they used to have. They can't just, you know, send you wherever they want to go. Um, That's why we fact, have the time walkers. Not just theory. that. To the point where in order to do like his, his jump to another world, um, Kairos had to like steal the, the devices that, you know, the, I forget what they were called, the stones on the island, the timeless isle. He had to have us gather them. He had to make so the vision he, of time. Yeah. And even then, he didn't seem to know quite what it did. Uh, and I remember there was a vision. He's, you know, the vision of you and Sori Dormi and, you know, possibly him having killed her. Uh, that it was like Epo- Epoch Stones or something, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I believe, yeah, that's the name. And, and Sori Dormi doesn't seem to be dead either. Um, I don't, at least if she actually has died, I don't know about it. But that was certainly part of the vision he had through it. So there's a lot going on there. I don't think the Caverns of Time are the kind of place you... I don't think you can be trapped there anymore. But then again, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I certainly hadn't thought of it that way. Maybe you we know don't that think when, that we can be trapped there anymore because they made us think that we can't be trapped there anymore because they made us some kind of timeline. They give us access to some kind of timeline in which case, in which we can't, supposedly, in theory. But we're still there. <laughs> I mean, there's the whole thing when the in the uh, War of the Ancients books with the old gods messing with time, uh, and when they did, when they messed with time, it created that you know weird time backlash thing that had uh, Nosdormu trapped and unable to do anything. And I haven't seen Nosdormu in a while, so for all I know, he's stuck in another one of them. Uh, you, you got me. Uh, I, I honestly. I mean, supposedly he quote unquote lost his powers and everything, right? In the Dragon Soul, but where is the Dragon Soul located? Where is that instance? Where do you get to it? You access it through the Caverns of Time, right? That's I where you zone in. That's where you zone in to get there. So what if it's not sending you across to Northrend, but it's actually sending you to a different time pocket somewhere, and we've never left any of these time pockets. I guess that's what Verdigree is kind of asking, maybe. Or maybe they're just talking about, you know, leveling in general, because you're jumping all over in different timelines. I think they're talking about leveling in general, yeah. Yeah. See, I'm taking it one step further, and I'm like, what if our characters at level 120 or wherever they happen to be, we've never left the Caverns of Time. We've just been there this whole time. Everything that we've done has just been different time pockets that we've gone into. And Nosedormu is just, I don't know, having a little cross-timeline puppet show with us or something. You do realize that he's outside of the Taverns of Time, it's quite possible that literally nothing we've done has happened. Yeah. It's all vanilla out there. (laughs) That's where Classic is. It's all out there. (laughs) Joe, you going to talk or what? I, I don't know how to Joe's respond head. to this. <laughs> no, it, it's it's not that. It's just it's the idea. I don't know. Like it's a possibility. I don't generally like the idea of it because again, it's that whole you know nothing we done has mattered, blah 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 type thing. But it also storyline wise, to me, doesn't make a whole lot of sense that that would actually be what happened. I mean, we could be in a trap. We could be in a time loop. We could be in this this infinite thing which is why we can't actually die is because you know we just time resets or whatever for us but it just seems weird like what would be the motivation for that what would be the purpose for that well i mean if if you were nosdormo and you were looking for the way to stop all this bad stuff from happening then here you go you've got a test bed you can keep running simulations in a sense essence what we're talking about here is um the the nexus 
from from uh, Assassin's Creed, the uh, the, the animus, <gasps> the little animus, animus yeah. thing. Yeah, we're all in the yeah. animus. <laughs> That's what you would basically be talking about. You're running simulations. You know, normal would be running time simulations. What would happen if we did this? Oh well, apparently they'd go to another dimension. I... And he even ran one in which we went and we killed Murazond yep, just to see him. what would happen. What happens at the end of that? Oh, he loses his powers. Mm, maybe that's not such a good one. Let's send them to Tranor instead and see what happens there. Oh, no. No. All of this is bad, but it just sounds good. And the only reason it sounds good is because I really like time travel junk. Um, I also like the idea that this is what makes our characters get mad at Chromie. And, like, the whole sabotage of Chromie thing was specifically because of all of this junk that's going on that we aren't aware of. We never did find anything out about that. That hasn't come back yet. Nope. We haven't gotten a conclusion on that or, or any sort of end point. No. We're still waiting on that one. And TikTok. I, I feel like they wouldn't have introduced that without a point to it. And I feel like there probably is a point to it. And somewhere down the road, when we're least expecting it, they're just going to slap us with it. And everybody's going to go, oh, because they weren't expecting it. You know what I mean? I mean, Rathion was there. There's got to be a point to all of it. There really does. I don't know. All right. Vertigree, thank you for the question. Um, Let's go ahead and go to the next one. This is from Glaive who says, Hi, Anne, Matt, and Joe. Quick question. With all the evil things that Sylvanas has done, do you think she can be redeemed in the eyes of players? What do you think has to happen for her to change public opinion? While I love Sylvanas and don't care how off the rails she goes, I don't think she can be forgiven for burning a tree down no matter what Blizzard does. Many thanks, Glaive, from too many server transfers. So this is not, can Sylvanas be redeemed in-game? This is... Is there a way right now with the way Sylvanas has been written so far for her to redeem herself in the eyes of the public, like people that are playing the game that might be objecting to the things that she has done? She's never not been a psychotic evil murderess from like the time she was raised from the dead. Yep. She's done whatever she wanted to do. She's already committed atrocity after atrocity after atrocity. And the people that liked her, liked her then and like her now. Uh, I don't see how you need to redeem her in the eyes of the player base. She can be a divisive figure and want wholesale murder people from the other faction, and it doesn't matter. It won't make her unpopular. I think the only thing it's really done is it's made some players who don't want to be on the faction that murders a lot of people uncomfortable because they feel like they don't have any choice. Um, But the people that liked her still like her, and they like her for the stuff she's doing which is stuff she's always kind of done. She's not suddenly malevolent. She's continuingly malevolent. I think war crimes really She's just being a little bit more open about it now. I think war crimes really does give you a good look at the kind of person Sylvanas is. It's, she is not a puppy murderer who kills things because it's fun, but she does have absolutely no compunction about murdering things. If it'll get her what she wants, preserve her position or in her twisted mind, be better for them. And that's something I think really that you saw in before, before the storm, she isn't when she kills those, those forsaken that are trying to run to the other side, she's not doing it because she's mean and, you know, hates them. She's doing it because she honestly believes that there can be no rapprochement between the living and the dead. And if they, if they're allowed to try this, they'll bring down, 
you know, Undercity. They'll weaken the Forsaken. They'll damage her and her kingdom. And in the end, it won't work. And she says this. She lets them do it because she figures, oh, they'll they'll see. They'll 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 get a face full of the truth that they're dead and they can't go back and there can't be any kind of connection with their old lives because that's how she feels about herself. Like when she has the chance to make a connection with her sister, she's like, I'll kill her. And that way we can be together. And as soon as in, in before the storm, as soon as she realized that people, there were going to be some people that were going to defect, that were going to go, that were going to actually experience that thing that she didn't get. She kills them. All of them. No witnesses. Because that's not what yeah. she wants. Mm-hmm. And and she doesn't do it because she's just cruel and wants to hurt them. She does it. She's like, all right, well, if you're going to bring down everything we've worked to build, I'll have to kill you. Because what you're going to do won't work. It'll weaken everything. Others will want to go try it too. And it's just going to bring everything down. You have to die. And that's, Sylvanas makes these decisions not based on just, you know, I love your pain, but rather I want to maintain what I've built and it can't be maintained any other way. There There is is an order to things. And if you leave, then others are going to leave and it's going to weaken the foundation and everything will come crumbling down. And I can't let that happen. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of her burning down Teldrassil, she did it because she was out of options. If they didn't take Teldrassil, they were going to get pushed back. If, as we've seen in, in the Darkshore you know, Warfront, even with Teldrassil gone, they can't hold Darkshore. There's back and forth fighting. One side takes it and the other side takes it, but they can't hold it. With the full might of the Horde, they cannot hold Darkshore. So she knew there's no way I can do this if they're sitting there in Teldrassil. I can't leave them there as a threat. I can't break them if I don't have, you know, I was trying to break them by killing Malfurion. I figured if they saw him die, they'd be demoralized because he's this powerful figure. I don't have that now. I can't kill Malfurion. So what am I going to do to break them? Uh, that's all I got is this this thing. I'm not doing it because I'm mean. I certainly think she did it in part because she was emotionally compromised. She was pushed too far. Um, she saw her plans coming down and, and she does respond emotionally when she looks like she's about to lose something. Uh, we saw that again in war crimes when she, when her sister didn't come over, she realized I'm not going to get to have her. She blew up. She lost her, you know, she, she threw basically a fit. Um, and you see it again in the, in the Windrunner sisters comic when Verisa reaches out, when she says, I'm sorry that I did that. I should have come to speak to you. I shouldn't have just done that. Sylvanas pretends she doesn't care, but she doesn't have them killed either. She had people waiting to attack them. And just that little apology is enough that she doesn't do it. I think that's the real tragedy is that not just that Sylvanas is stuck in stasis, but underneath it all, she does have these feelings and she doesn't know what to do with them. She can't have her life back. And she believes that, well, if I can't have my life back, that means it's impossible for any of us. This is how it is. Because if, it, if she was to accept, no, it's just you, that would be it. The only thing keeping so, her going is that role that she is playing. I want to I wanna throw this over to Joe, and I'm going to throw back with the original question, which was, do you think there's anything that can be done with Sylvanas to redeem her in the eyes of players? Yeah, so... I'm going to agree with Rossi on this one. I don't I don't think it's a matter of redeeming her in the eyes of the player base. If you've loved her, you've always loved her. If you don't love her, you 
I mean, generally speaking, you don't love her. I'm, not, I'm just saying in general terms. I'm not saying that's 100% the case for everybody, but that's just who she is. She's always been this type of character. Like, and, and Rossi has swayed me with his, his arguments over the course of several recordings. And I've come to agree, like looking back deeper and, and taking a closer look at everything she's done throughout the course of her existence as an undead creature, that everything is just in line with her. It's in line. It's not, it's not off the rails. It's, it's within character and either you love her or you don't. And I don't think there's anything that, you know, story-wise they could do that's going to make people who don't like her, like her. Now, the one thing I will say is the only story plot, and and I've said this before that I think would, would be sort of a redemption arc for her in game is if they found a way to bring her back to life, because then she can't, she can't argue, she can't argue that she's no longer that person anymore, that she can't have this life anymore. And every careful lie, every careful dam that she's built up, over all of these years just shatters and she can't hide from it anymore. That's the only personally, that's the only way I see that sort of happening where like quote unquote redemption. I'm going to rephrase this a little bit because I feel like I need to rephrase it given, given you guys' responses um, to ask a slightly different question right now, as it stands, there are a couple of different, well, there's a few different camps, but the two major ones that are really passionate about what's going on here are number one, the people who love Sylvanas have always loved Sylvanas don't care what she does. Still love Sylvanas. Even if she burned down Teldrassil still love Sylvanas with everything that they have. And then you have the camp who weren't necessarily fans of Sylvanas. And once Teldrassil was burned, really weren't fans of Sylvanas and really don't like her now and can't possibly forgive her for what she did. Because, I mean, she burned down an entire starting area, but she also decimated the Night Elf population. And for players that really love the Night Elves and everything, obviously this is something that you can't just gloss over. This isn't something that you can just go, oh, and now we all forgive each other and have hugs. That's just not going to happen. Is there a way for Blizzard to resolve this situation in a manner that doesn't leave one side feeling like they got the shaft. Is there a way that we can come out of this expansion where everybody feels okay with what happened without being angry about it or feeling like they got shortchanged? There has to be something so devastatingly horrible that everybody gets kind of messed over the same amount. And that's the only way that I could see not one side not feeling slighted over the other. I don't know what that is, but unless both sides feel the same amount of loss, the same amount of pain, the same amount of aggression, somebody's going to wind up feeling like they got the short end of the stick. That kind of makes me unhappy that it's like <laughs> the only way to make everybody feel okay is to make them suffer equally. <laughs> well, I mean, what's the, other, not, what's the other option? Not, I have, have, rewind time I and have bring another. No, no, I've got another option. Okay, what's that? Sylvanas wins. Because I don't think the end of this expansion needs to be the end of this story. I think we could start a new expansion where we're leveling from 120 to 130 or 125 or whatever, where the events that lead us into that expansion are Sylvanas winning. The Alliance gets beat. The Sarfang gets beat. And now, at the end of it, Sylvanas is the war chief of her loyalists and people who can't imagine not being loyal to that position. And everybody else is fighting back however they can, and they're not 
there's no powerful alliance to oppose her. There's just fractured, scattered people. And whatever horde people are opposing her are also fractured and scattered. And the story is about that. It's about a world on the brink where you're trying to resist and survive. That What would that do to the factions as they stand right they now? Would, they wouldn't count. Like, you know, okay, I'm an orc, but right now we have that problem. You know, I'm a forsaken, but I can't go along with what she's done. We have that problem. So are you talking about Sylvanas wins, drop a giant bomb, get rid of the faction divide entirely by just obliterating it? Yes. I'm not saying that's what they're going to do, but I'm saying it's one way out of this. I mean, it still still falls in line. intriguing (laughs) option. It still falls in line with everybody suffers equally. And everybody would be fighting. It would basically be along the sides of everyone is fighting that. And the thing is, is maybe you can't win by trying to overpower her. Imagine a story that ended with you get there and you reason with her. And she is still reasonable. She is still, for all that she cares about her people, there is still a rational person in there. Imagine saying, look, if you continue along this path, the world will be lifeless. And I know you think that's good, but a lifeless world can't grow and can't change. A lifeless world couldn't have done what we've done. Sorry, a bit of cough there. I, I, I just think... The story might go in a direction that we're not anticipating. Everyone seems to keep anticipating the end of Mists of Pandaria, where we go into Orgrimmar and we beat up the the uh, true horde until Garrosh is lost. But I don't see that happening. That's not Sylvanas's style, and I don't necessarily know that that they'll end it on what would be like the ultimate downer ending. But imagine an ending where Sylvanas goes so far that even most of the horde can't support it. And it would be interesting because even mechanically, it's something that they could do, right? Like you could have still your PVP battles in game where you have your your old faction loyalists that, you know, they don't care for Sylvanas, but they, they're really staunchly against, you know, races of the Alliance or staunchly against races of the Horde, whatever. But then for everybody else that's been yelling about it for years, you don't have that anymore. And Or just turn the PVP into war games. It's training. Something like that. Like there's options that they could do that. And I mean... It's a terrible, terrible thing, but it gives players one thing that a lot of them have been talking about for a long time, which is why can't I do like in the stories and why can't my Torn talk to this human? And we already know that they're doing that mechanically in game where they're, they're, they're talking about, uh, or at least they're workshopping. I don't know if it's official yet, but about that potion that allows you to talk. Oh, to the no, other you action. can get it. You can get it in game right now. Yeah. So there you go. So it, there's, it's already mechanically possible. Like they knew or they know that it was possible. To, to talk to you know other factions what if that like Rossi said what if everything blows up what if that faction divides no longer a factor it, it's a terrible thing but it's also a really good thing because it gives players one, one of these big 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 asks that they've been asking for for years it would be well, really interesting and on top of that it definitely changes the foundation of the game in a way that keeps a game that's how old is World of Warcraft now how long Almost has it been years. out now yeah Maybe they need some kind of shakeup like this to keep it interesting. Maybe they need to switch it up like this. Maybe this is the way to give it that dimensional shift that it needs to kind of throw it in a new direction. That's an interesting thought. I mean, they've been saying from the beginning that this is going to resolve the faction conflict. Hmm. That's what they've been saying. That's the it's words true. they used. That is very true. Um, I don't know that that's how they're going to resolve it. In fact, I know nothing about it. And it certainly is much more likely that they'll do something le- less ra- drastic. They, they're a conservative group. 
So it's likely the story will be conservative compared to what I've suggested. But the assumption okay, but, everybody but has... But the thing is, Rossi, is you can't say that because the names and the faces that wrote the last 15 years of World of Warcraft... They're not there. ...are no longer there. We're dealing with a new guard here. Who knows what, they, what they'll do? Well, that's, that's a good point. And also, the other point I'm going to make is that eventually things have to change just because of the nature of what they're trying to do. If you want to set up a game that can have more expansions, things need to change. And just from a longevity standpoint, you can't keep in the same, you can't keep doing that same cycle over and over and over and over again. Because eventually people are going to get tired of it. People are already tired of it. People are already like, oh, this is just Garage 2.0. And I don't agree with them, but the well, only they way even said that they're not going to do that. But the only way to not do that is to do something else to to break that assumption that it's going to just play out with you know Sylvanas trapped with like Sarfang coming in on one side and the Alliance on the other. In order to break that assumption, I think you have to do something along the lines of letting her win, not letting her win because it's it's a story, but a story Having about what happens. Yeah, what's the story about? You know, she in the end she gets what she wants. So. Let me, let me, the other thing that I really like about this too is something that I've been thinking about for years, ever since Vanilla Classic, whatever you want to call it. Like when we started, we were getting this feeling of going into these like raid zones and these encounters. Even some of the dungeons that became five man were like, you know, 10 man raid zones or whatever, you know, they they were big events, but it always felt like you were part of an army. Yeah. Yeah. You're always part of an army. You were part of your faction's vanguard force. You weren't just like a small elite group of guerrilla warriors going in to accomplish a task. Fast forward to our current years and in game, we now have flexible rating where the same content that we would have many, many, many years ago had to like wrestle literally an army of people together to go and do this task. We can do with a handful of people going into what Rossi's saying, blowing up that faction divide, doing something where she wins and forces in the position thematically makes sense even within the game systems. Because we, that's what we are now. We are guerrilla groups of warriors going to accomplish horribly difficult tasks. And it would fit perfectly with that kind of narrative. Like, I really like that idea because of that. Plus, they've kind of almost set the foundation for it, haven't they? Because look at what we did mm-hmm. in Legion. No, look at what we did in Legion. Did we, did we focus on factions in Legion? No, we focused on our classes. Yep. Our classes banded together and worked outside of the boundaries of factional alliances. People loved it. Yeah. Like, I mean, we 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 gushed, gushed about it for hours and hours and hours, and a lot of people did too. And then you go back to this whole faction thing, and, like, people are, are pretty lukewarm to it for the most part. Like, I understand there's people that really love that divide. And I'm not, I don't want to take this away from any of you that do. But they were richer stories when we were focusing on something that wasn't completely faction-driven. Look, we talked about this too, where, you know, what were these really cool stories, these campaigns that were coming out of these, these faction or these, uh, these order halls, instead of being faction based, we were partnering with, you know, broken, we were partnering with goblins, we were partnering with all these different races to accomplish these goals. And it led to unique storytelling and it led to very cool moments. And I think that's that that's a really cool thing to go back to. And if, if people like liked it as much as I really do believe that they did, why not come back to something like that? A directional shift like that might actually like give the story and the lore, a boost of something new. And I think, and it think of how many, something new. 
and think of how many players that aren't playing right now because and i know this for a fact because i've had people talk to me and say this is the same old thing i've done this before i don't have any interest in it well now you're doing something that has never been done before in the game that has no precedent that is something completely different something completely different going all the way back to warcraft orcs versus humans uh-huh so now you have something that that maybe is enticing to those players that are looking for something fresh that love the the content love the the universe that that has been set up for them but crave that sort of evolution of story well now you have a whole new set point now one of the things that i remember from back in the classic days when i first loaded up that game it was awe inspiring to me because this is a stories and and bits and pieces that i had like dove through in the rts's and really wanted to be like a part of and i got to explore the world in a new and different way imagine that feeling again not just because the world is different not because the world's blown up but because all of the the political and, and sort of socioeconomic boundaries that have been placed on this game for 20 plus years are just gone. It is a completely new ballpark at that point with all of the same roots, all that same story, all that same lore that you love. But now you get to experience it completely different. You get to have your your sassy, uh, you know, and I can't remember the other guy's name, the goblin's name. You get to have those moments just like in Before the Storm. You get to have those moments of of Bane and Anduin. You get to have those moments where things aren't quite, you know, forced upon us. Like how many how many orc players wanted to be, and, and I don't know this case, but they wanted to be Thrall and they wanted to have their interactions with Jaina, but they couldn't. They couldn't have those moments. Now you give those players the opportunity to do stuff like that. That opens up a whole new world. And I'm I'm sorry, I'm really excited about this idea now. <laughs> yeah, we're all kind of on board with it now. <laughs> Let's hope it happens. That'd be cool. Okay, so we want Sylvanas to win. <laughs> We're going to get email about this. Okay, uh, let's do one more email question here. This one is from somebody whose name I'm going to totally mess up. I'm sorry. Zhang Mao, maybe? Who's a Pandaren? Who says, greetings, Lord Masters. Have a question about death in-game, because we haven't talked about the Valkyr enough. How many instances of death are in this game? From my findings, there are several different death paths NPCs can take. Odin takes them to Val Valhalla. Helia had her own realm. Juan Samdi takes creatures to the Shadowlands, I presume. The Nario takes them to the Light. Demons go back to the Twisting Nether. Night Elves become Wisps or enter the Emerald Dream. The Drust are stuffed into Scarecrows, etc., etc. Everything other than the heroes have an afterlife or a death to go to does everything connect to the shadowlands just wondering your thoughts love the show and that's zhang mao who's a pandaren monk from the antonitis server and i'm sorry if i totally mangled your name um what do you guys think the afterlife does it all go back to the shadowlands or are there other options and how many options are there um i don't know if i can say it all goes to the shadowlands because there's certainly for instance with a Crusader Bridenbrad and the Naru take him somewhere. I doubt they take him to the Shadowlands. Um, that wouldn't be a very good reward. So, and and for that matter, you know, Odin's taking things out of the Shadowlands. He's not taking things there. Um, the whole point of his Valkyrie is to to raise you bodily in this world in a new Stormforged body. That's that's what happens. The only living Valarjar is is the the player warrior. Um, all the rest of them are like you know Stormforged or Valkyr. And we, we focus on Valkyr. And we're brought back. Yeah. Yeah. We we focus on Valkyr a lot. We don't talk about the Stormforged that much, but the Stormforged are just as unnatural as the Valkyr. 
both the the, the Valkyrie that serve Odin and the Stormforge can be seen as forms of undead, um, but they're not anything like the Forsaken or un, undead as we understand them, the Scourge undead. Um, there's nothing corrupt about the Valkyrie, but if you look at them, they're very much ear. Uh, if you look at Aeir or the ones that serve her, they're like literally like I don't even know what's the proper word for it. They're like seething with light. The light is like leaking out of them. They're so they're golden and glowing, yeah. and and the Stormforged are in these imperishable, you know, construct bodies, which is interesting because it's in a way it's reversing the curse of flesh. They die and then they get a body that is completely inanimate. It's back to the the proto Iron Vrykel type body, except it's the Stormforged body, which is even better. So that's what Odin's up to. In terms of like other, you know, there's certain Loa that certainly seem to be dealing with the Shadowlands. Uh, Buon mm-hmm. Sandy definitely does, but there's there's entities that definitely don't seem to partake in it at all or have anything to do with it. So I'm not sure that it all leads to the Shadowlands, but I think the Shadowlands definitely are, is involved in a lot of. It. Well, it depends too, and if we take the uh, the cosmology as truth, right? Like we go back to the the Chronicles Nicopulp cosmology, and Shadowlands is its own little tiny little piece of the greater whole but it doesn't necessarily have its hands in everything. Um, Maybe the realm and, of death has a bunch of different zones. Right. And, and, and if we take the, the cosmology, there's Shadowlands, there's Decay, there's the Undead Realm, there's Necromantic Realm, uh, and then there's the Death Realm on the far, far extreme. Um, but then you look at the rest of it, like they all have sort of like these layers upon layers. So my, my curiosity, though, is if this feeds into the main story and the Shadowlands are trying to expand their grasp, because not everything does touch the Shadowlands now. Maybe that's what's making them angry. Maybe that's what the long game is, is the Shadowlands is like, you know what? I, I'm tired of having this like little tiny piece of the cosmos. Everything should be touched by my little noodly appendage or whatever. So I don't know. Like I, I, but I think Rossi's right. I don't think everything touches the Shadowlands right now. I, I think that there's a varied set of paths for everyone. And I think that's kind of okay because it sort of fits with a nice little neat parallel to real life where every person has their own idea essentially of what happens on their path of life to death. So it kind of fits sort of neatly where, like they said, you know, Odin takes people to Valhalla. Helia has her own little realm. Wamsamdi is the gatekeeper of the Shadowlands. Naru take people to the light. Demons go to the twisting nether. Night elves become wisps or enter the Emerald Dream. Uh, Dress becomes scarecrows. Like that's, that's a really nice parallel to the real world as far as like everybody's idea of what happens afterwards. And I think that's fine. And I think everything having its own piece also fits with like the sort of the greater mythology of all these races as well, because you know, the night elves don't necessarily like they don't worship the Shadowlands, right? They have their own set of beliefs. They, 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 you know, revere nature and they, you know, revere a loon and they have sort of that, that sort of structure there. So very clearly their pathways elsewhere. And same thing with the humans and the the drust and all that other stuff. Like it's it almost like it got taken sense. elsewhere, though, didn't it? Because they were trolls mm. once upon a time. So once upon a time, once upon a time there was Loa, and once upon a time there was Blonsamdi, and once upon a time there was the Shadowlands. Until they Maybe. were touched and evolved, at which point things changed. Yeah, although I think Joe's right in what I think he was about to say, which I'm going to say because why not I'm saying it. Go for uh, it. I think it's possible that that stuff evolved after. It's possible that the Shadowlands and Bon Samdi and all that came after the split. That's exactly what I mind, was going to say, yeah. Keep in mind, too, that like the trolls, the Dark Trolls had their own sacred mountain that is very similar to Xandalar. They had Hyjal, and that's where they found their Loa that they called the Ancients. Wow. 
Yep. Yeah. And there's it, there's a very interesting dichotomy in that there are these two sacred mountains. I mean, it, the concept of a sacred mountain or an omphalos in regular mysticism is pretty well established. And they had two. And the trolls, like the dark trolls had their own culture and their own to the point where they didn't they didn't want anything to do with the other trolls because the other trolls were up during the day. They liked it dark. They wanted to be out at night. The other trolls like, you know, had this whole golden sun thing and they liked the moon and they liked, you know, silver. There's there's a lot. There's a lot to the idea that the dark trolls weren't just another tribe of trolls, but they were practically the inverse of other trolls. Every like. Other trolls were like really into combat and conflict. The dark trolls wanted to avoid it. They were the drow. So, yeah, in a way, they were, they were the troll version of that. They everything that the that regular trolls, the Zandalar, because at the time the Zandalar were like weren't a separate people. They were kind of like a higher caste. If anything, the Zandalar were to the trolls what the Highborn were to the Night Elves later. They were a spiritually powerful, magically gifted class of trolls, but they weren't a separate people. Uh, the separate people thing happened during the the you know, reign of the Zandalar during the the Karaji War when they said they said okay we're going to send these guys out to fight this guy here we're going to send these guys out and as because they were sent out the Gurubashi and Amani were isolated long enough to become powerful in their own right and that's something that happened over thousands of years and meanwhile the dark trolls were avoiding all of it so there's this really interesting dichotomy where these develop these competing spiritual ideals became so powerful that they became other people. They weren't the same people anymore, and that makes me wonder about the sh- the entire role of death in this this division, the cultural breakdown. You might I have. Call it. Um, I know we're kind of reaching the end of our time window here, but are you guys okay with going on for a little bit longer? Yeah. Okay. Because I have something to suggest and i'm wondering you guys' thoughts on it the shadowlands okay so we've got death right the realm of death and we talk about how there's all these different aspects to it that's what this person when they emailed they were asking about they were asking about all these different aspects of death that appear to be only the more i look at it and the more i think about it the more i think about the fact that all of these other branching paths kind of came into existence after the first one right? So just think think about this with me for a minute. What if we had the Shadowlands originally? That was the realm of the dead. It was the Shadowlands. That was where everybody went. It was its own thing. Maybe it was this massive kingdom of dead or whatever you want to call it, but it was its own thing and it was dominant. And slowly, over the course of time, it's been chipped away at. Odin chipped away at it when he made that deal and started creating Valkyr. And all of a sudden, you know, creatures were presented with an alternative to the Shadowlands. The Night Elves. When the Night Elves came to be, suddenly we had wisps. After the War of the Ancients, suddenly they were tied to the Emerald Dream and they were pulled. There was no Shadowlands for them. It just wasn't a concept. It wasn't where they went anymore. They weren't trolls anymore. They didn't go there anymore. The Naru take them where? We don't know, but it's not the Shadowlands. The demons popped up after all of this stuff happened with Sargeras and demons. 
they don't go anywhere when they die. They go to the, back to the Twisting Nether, something that was created and that Sargeras utilized. It was a creation. It wasn't, it wasn't really tied to death. Over the course of thousands and thousands of years, what I'm getting at here is over the course of thousands and thousands of years, mortals and immortals, just creatures, living creatures, in whatever way they happen to live, have been creating these alternate pockets. And all of a sudden, the Shadowlands aren't the be-all and end-all anymore. They aren't the only option anymore. So who ro rules the Shadowlands, and how do they feel about it? And is that what we're looking at here with this big thing with Sylvanas and the Valkyr and Bwonsamdi and his boss and everything else that's going on? Is the something bigger, whatever entity it is that rules the Shadowlands, who's been quietly getting super ticked off that everybody's encroaching on his or her territory and suddenly they're not top dog anymore? I don't know. Is that is that something we could be looking at? What do you guys think? Definitely a possibility. It depends on, like, I mean, it could be, I mean, it literally could be anything, right? Like, it could be that whatever is there has been losing power all these years and this is the gambit to get it back because the thing is is we haven't just been meddling with the face of the world and we haven't just been meddling with magic and we haven't just been no, meddling been with all this other stuff meddling with everything we've, we've been meddling with the afterlife creatures have been meddling with the afterlife for i mean since the titans came to azeroth and possibly before that you know so i uh, you just made this happen in my head oh okay what are wisps? <laughs> they're ghosts, aren't they? Kind of, sort of. They're like spirits. They go, they go, they're spirits that become night elves. Night elves, when they're born, they're, this, the wisps are like the, the ancestors and the descendants, and you can become a wisp when you die, and that's you. It's like an orc spirit. Except it's like the orcish spirit ancestors. They're tied to the Emerald Dream, right? Yeah. Why? And here's another thought. Why do we have a difference between dead things and living things in terms of spirits? Why are there death spirits and life spirits? Or more accurately, was there a point where there wasn't a difference? Because the Emerald Dream is an artificial creation. It's taking something that happens naturally around the spirit-devouring titan sleeping in the planet. Remember, it devours all the spirit energy. Yep. And generates a dreamscape out of it. And they codified that the titan forged made that a place where they make it out of mm -hmm. and what did they separate it from did they create a boundary where there was no boundary did they separate off death and life in a way that now suddenly there's a difference and you have death they do like to order things don't they yeah and they like to categorize them if they created a boundary and now spirits of living things come from that one place now some spirits don't get to go there anymore. The unborn. You've you've made the Emerald Dream, and in so doing, you made the Shadowlands because the Shadowlands and the Emerald Dream were the same thing once. They were the place where you go when you're not alive in this world. Ooh. And by doing that, maybe it's not a question of them taking it off because they've chipped away its power. You've literally torn away from these beings half of their existence because we've seen that the, the Naru are light and dark. They have a life cycle that goes between the two extremes. Is is life itself inherently unnatural without death? Absolutely. You have to have death to have life. The two things are cyclical. Even creatures that are immortal 
can still die in the Warcraft yeah. cosmos. It just takes well, them we, a really long time to do it. We know that too. Like yeah. we're we're literally like we talked about this last week or last recording. We're going through that right now with the Loa, the Loa that have died and have been you know quote unquote allowed to come back. Like there are some that haven't yet. They're still dead. Where are they? Where where does their spirit reside? Or or Torga, who's being reborn right now. Where where is that happening? And like I'm just saying, there's some weird stuff going on here, and I don't think that it was. I I think it was because there were things were being meddled with that shouldn't have been meddled with. Go ahead, Rossi. Sorry. There's also we know this from the ancients. There are opposites of every ancient. You have Lagash, the ghost wolf, Goldrin, but there's an opposite of him, a, a, a nemesis to him that can rise up and take the place like Hanroth. It is the other version of him. There's the turtle. There is, you know, the, the giant turtle ancient and the fiery opposite of him that can come and take his place. Where do these opposites come from? What are they? And were they always there or were they and, created with that division? Yeah. When you make the Emerald Dream, when you separate life from death, do you make it so that there's the life force and the death force and the death force is an equal and opposite form of you? Where And do they all have this? Is there like, you know, do the August, is that why the August Celestials have life cycles? So they don't have to do that? Is that why there's constantly a rebirth to the to the jade serpent with the statue and everything it dies and is reborn that way it doesn't have to have or worry about its opposite number trying to take its place because it, it accepts that its opposite number is it I, I i live i die i live again there's there's a lot to this that we don't understand there's a lot to the cosmology defining the cosmology has actually made it more complicated yeah and convoluted. Thus, there's more stuff can be happening than we understand I wouldn't go convoluted. I think complicated is is more accurate because like any like the it is more complicated. There are more layers to consider, and that happens anytime sort of like the cell divides. So wait, I have a question. Oh. Like, is, you're gonna hate this question. Uh-oh. That cosmology chart, the one that we had in Chronicle, is that the cosmology before or after the Titans meddled with existence as we know it? I'd say after probably. So can we really count on it as an accurate representation of the cosmology of the universe at all in that case? Even if, even if it's not, we probably can't just simply because, I mean, it's our limited understanding on this whole cosmic level thing. Hey, so. guys, you know that chart you've been pointing at all this time? Might not even be valid. <laughs> probably isn't. Some titan out there managed to hammer that all out and make it into this little organizational... <laughs> They were holding bits and pieces of existence up and asking, does this bring me joy? <laughs> and if it didn't, they tossed it out. <laughs> we're basing How very Gilmore girls of them. <laughs> we're basing... <laughs> we're, basing uh, we're, we're basing our understanding of the universe on a chart in a book, and that chart is based off of the creation of the Emerald Dream and the creation of all of this other stuff, which was based on meddling that the Titans did. Prior to the Titans creating the Emerald Dream, was it there? No. So do we need to throw the cosmology chart out with the bathwater? Or is it accurate? And if it's accurate, who came up with it? 
See, I, I just have this mental image of like Norganon as Emily Gilmore now. So, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, it's just totally been ruined for me. <laughs> I'm just going back to the magic of tidying up. But you know, um, <laughs> yeah. But that's that's always the possibility, and that's one of the the, the interesting things. Whenever we we look at anything as definitive, right? Uh-huh. Like anything that's presented to us is presented to us in in the how definitive of... is that definitive thing exactly. that we thought was the be all and end all of being definitive. Because even in the context of story, it can change, it can shift, it can be something different, it can evolve. Or it could be not exactly what we thought it was. Because a lot of the stuff that's being told in there, a lot of them are being told from certain points of view where, I mean, who's who's gathering that information? Who's the one compiling it? I didn't even think about that when we were talking about Chronicle. And when we were looking at Chronicle, it never mm-hmm. really crossed my mind until just now that, wait, that chart, that chart came into existence after the titans messed around with azeroth it had to have unless the emerald dream has always been there but i don't think that the emerald dream has always been there because it says in chronicle that they created it right and i think rossi's right on that where if it was all one place and it was the shadowlands and the emerald dream and it was something else that then got divided a wall got put up between it a partition was created and it was like, okay, well, this set goes here, this set, eh, whatever. Like, okay, Rossi, you've sense. been quiet, and I want to hear what you think about this. Well, I mean, I'm the one that threw the grenade in the room. It's not my <laughs> job to comment on it after it blows up. Um, I love that but, we've I mean, been going, oh, well, the cosmology chart says this and this and this. And the thing is, is that cosmology chart might be a big load of hooey. Well, I mean, I, I think of it. If you think of it as, you know, the the cosmology after the construction, what would it look like without the construction? I mean, we, we build like, exactly if you look at the, the map. It's of the very city, neatly at... ordered. It is very neatly yeah. and precisely ordered. So what happens when it's not ordered? What does it look like? Yeah, we like, don't know. You, you look at a city from the sky, let's say you look at a map of a city. The, the places in that city are walled off. They're divided because someone built them to be that way. Um, the city itself, it, it, however, there's a natural shape to the city. Like there's islets and land. And even if we change it by putting, you know, filling in places and so forth, there's still like a natural shape that the city is built on top of. How much of the cosmos is the natural shape of the cosmos? We know that light and light existed first. Before any of that other stuff, there was just light. And then the light formed eddies that became shadows and the shadows became their own thing. And that's where the void and darkness comes from. That's in the Warcraft cosmology. That's how the, the existence was created. So we know and already when the, the two collided, we got the twisting nether. Yeah. And so we know that these things for all that, that really orderly chart looks really great. And you're like, Oh, okay. We know that there was a time where like a lot of that stuff just wasn't there. And if anything, since as a cosmology, nothing had to shrink in order for any of it to happen. It's not like there's a limited amount of space and it gets filled in. It's ever expansive. So even as these things are brought separated and created their own like existence and their own definition, that doesn't mean that they've, they've diminished anything. You can now have an infinite shadow land, an infinite realm of death, where before you didn't have a realm of death at all. It can well, now be infinite. Here's, so the, here's my thing. Here's my thing, Rossi. If we want to shovel, let's just take the cosmology chart, shovel it to the side, right? We're not even thinking about it right now. We're not even looking at it. All we're looking at is blank space. There's light. There's void. 
the uh, two of them are battling with each other, along that battlefield, we get pockets of just detonations. That's where the twisting nether kind of rips open, right? From there, we get existence. And if we get existence, we get death because that's interlinked. There's life and death. Those are interlinked just as much as the light and the darkness is. Yeah? yeah makes sense. So is that, was that the Shadowlands or was that something else? Was that just a vast realm of death and then all of a sudden this life that popped out of that explosion, these titans, decided to start organizing all of that stuff? Oh, there's so much here. I mean, there's the the very fact is that we don't oh, know. No, we opened a can of worms. <laughs> the, the other thing too is we think of the Titans as this primordial force, like the first life, but we don't know that that's actually the case. There may have been entire generations of things that lived and died before the first Titan arose, just because Titans are so complex and take so long to arise. Well, yeah, also and also that makes life... you, that also makes the assumption that like nothing came before the Titans. Like, how can you make that? In their in their conception, in their maturing, in their coming to be that their titan selves, they create life. Look at Azeroth; yeah. it's teeming well, we with all know, these little creatures well, we on it. But we also know that there's planets that existed that weren't titan souls that had life, and they all had like little yeah. So there's the idea that like, I honestly think there's something to be said about the idea that life and death didn't used to have a separation. No. That they were it was just part a, of a cycle yeah. like the naru yeah. and the light and void and that the separation is inherently i don't want to say corrupting because that's not quite the right term but it codifies it hardens now you are one of these two things whereas before you were both of them but now okay you're a death spirit you're a life spirit and so a life spirit is no longer just part of a death spirit it's no longer i am life and i am death and we're part of the same thing it's now i am life you're death it's that whole idea of, you know, if you go back to the to the Diablo cosmology for a second, there was a time when Anu was everything, and then everything was Anu. And then Anu divided itself. Anu ripped away everything it didn't like about itself and put it over there. But that created Tathomet, because Tathomet was everything Anu didn't all like that, about itself. All that stuff that it didn't like and shoved over there became a thing. Yeah, and that thing was pretty ticked it off. Was it was a terrible rejected. thing. <laughs> now, if we look at the Shadowlands in the realm of death, is it possible that the things that were shoved over into the death side of things are upset about it? They may not want to be dead. You know, uh... I don't want to just be death. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be all things. In much the same way that the Void doesn't want to just be the Void. It wants everything to be the Void. You know, there are no... What's, what's the old thing? There's no... Everything is true. Because not, There's you know, no well, one singular truth or possibility. Yeah. Every possibility is truth. And the uh, the old Assassin's Creed is nothing is true, everything is permitted. Because if everything's true, nothing's true. Mm-hmm. And if you can do, if nothing is true, you can do anything. If I'm dead, then I don't have to worry about being alive, and I can make you dead, and then everything can be dead, and then nothing's alive. If if there can if there is no continuity between the two things, if they are separate states, then one can win. So we kind of went on a tangent. <laughs> Didn't we promise people we would do that? I mean, that's sort of a thing. Let, let, let's we be honest. On, we went on so many tangents today. <laughs> Folks, you can tweet at us. Tell us how much you love the tangents, because I'm pretty sure you love them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here, though, because otherwise we will be here for another three hours, and I don't know about you guys, but I do have other things i got to do today. I'm hungry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Me too, just a little. Uh, Blizzard Watch. It's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, the listeners of Blizzard Watch, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, we talked about it a little bit. War Crimes, one of the books that we talked about where you get kind of a closer look at Sylvanas and what's going on in her head. That is actually one of the audiobooks that's available on Audible. It's narrated by Scott Brick. It's a really, really good read. But hey, maybe you don't have time to sit down and read a book. Maybe you'd rather listen to one. If you'd like to listen to one, you could sign up for that free trial with Audible and use that book as your free download. Or there's a bunch of other Blizzard titles there that are also available. Or there's thousands of other books on there covering just about everything under the sun. You can take your pick. Anyway, you could download any of those by going to blizzardwatch.com slash audible and every sign up helps support the show and everything that we do. Speaking of the show, <laughs> if you have a question for the show, and maybe you do after all of this, <laughs> you can email that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com again and uh, be sure that you put lore watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show because we do have a couple of shows that we do. Um, final thoughts you guys I don't I don't even know if I have a final thought question to throw at you guys I really don't at this point um I'm gonna go back to the whole removal of the faction divide thing how much of a task do you think it would be to legitimately get rid of that faction divide because you're not just looking at oh suddenly everybody can talk to each other you're looking at zones and capital cities and everything else that were once split one one on the other suddenly aren't anymore and it honestly oh god that makes sense doesn't it it makes sense that they would go ahead and remove pvp realms doesn't it they'd remove the pvp realms that they would integrate something called war modes so that we could just go ahead and activate it if we want to fight with other people but otherwise everything is open right you mean like we already have yep yeah. Oh, this is looking like more and more of a thing that's going to happen. Like, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, this is a thing. This may well, very well be the thing that happens. Anyway, you guys. Um, you don't you don't edit the old cities. You don't edit the old towns at all. You let them stay their, their quote-unquote faction-specific things. But you would but have to edit the permissions cities? so that if, if, if somebody Wait, what, crossed well, the border, why? if somebody crossed you? the... Well... Why, would, why you keep those, they be... would you keep that divide there? Would you keep that but divide why... there where if somebody enters that city, they're automatically PvP flagged? Or yes. would you get rid of it because the factions are gone? No, I would I would keep it because, you know, you let the staunchest people of, you know, the human race, they keep Stormwind. The staunchest orcs keep Orgrimmar, whatever, because you're always going to have those people that are, that are holdouts or whatever. But how many times have we created new cities? How many, time, how many, how many new cities have we discovered over the course of 15 years? How many oh. new zones? How many how many places that have been rediscovered that we've taken back from bad guys through joint efforts? What about turning those into multi-faction cities instead? 
you know, like we have dwarf cities. You mean that like Shadrath and Dalaran have been all this time? Exactly. So what about a new one? Like you have a couple per per fact or per per continent or whatever the case is, where they're multi faction, and we have mm-hmm. precedent. We have we have these these cities that we've liberated time and time again. Heck, I mean, okay. So you could go back. I'm I'm going to ask my my question here because sure. I think I've I think I've managed to formulate. Oh no, it's just left my head. Um, in the event that the faction line is gone, do you guys? think that that's enough to kind of give the Warcraft story a, a kick in the butt as it were and suddenly you know turn it on its ear and make it fascinating again I mean do you feel like the story has reached a point where we need something like that I guess to kind of revitalize the story Rossi I don't know if we need it or not but I think at this point there's almost inevitably going to be something and doing this especially if you do it in such a way where it really pays forward where it's like, you know, it affects the story as the game continues is pretty much the only way. I don't think you need to necessarily edit what goes on from like one to one ten. You you can you could leave all that stuff the way it was and just have it be the, you know, the future of the game is this is no longer so big of an issue. Um it doesn't necessarily even have to be that the factions are gone, just that they're no longer imagine if at the end of it they basically come up with a detente because other stuff is more important and they're going to just try to leave each other alone now does that mean that everybody on both sides is going to suddenly be nice to each other no it doesn't sometimes you're going to have that that one orc who just really really can't get past the uh internment some camps. people are still going to hold grudges those are always yeah, going to be there you could totally do it in such a way that that stuff is still there but the governments of the two groups are trying and you know you could even do it in such a way that at the end, Sylvanas is still in, in Undercity, still running it, and people agree that it's better to, for her to be there than to be doing stuff like, we don't want her to be Warchief because, oh god, that's terrible. But we don't want to try to push her because if we try and push her, the people that love her, the Forsaken that support her, are going to make, you know, it's going to be an apocalypse. We're going to end up having to wipe them out. There, there's lots of different ways you could do it. I think ultimately it comes down to we're in a 15-year-old game. And if you want it to be here around for another 15 years, you're going to need to some, to change the, the, the playing field. You're going to need to make it a different game. Joe, what do you think? Same question. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's necessary, but it would be welcome. It would also be something that I think would define this game in a new way compared to every other game that's coming out in its way for, and I know we don't talk about a whole lot of games in comparison to it very often, but every other MMO that's come out since WoW has basically emulated WoW. And everywhere you go, there's always, there's factions. There's always a divide. There's, there's something along those lines that keep players from interacting with each other in some capacity. Very, very few have tried to, to go in a way that have ever bridged those gaps or let players choose their own destiny. Adding something like that in here now, I think, would revitalize the game in a way that is is unique. That is something that that Blizzard could do in a way that would be absolutely fantastic to basically jumpstart a player's own story i guess in a new way i would be the best way that i could put it i again i don't know if it's necessary but it's something that i would love to see and i think there's enough in the game there's enough precedent already in like the stories and what we've experienced over the last you know 20 years that they could do it and it could be very rewarding and it could be very exciting i would personally i want to see it at some point okay 
Well, that wraps us up for this episode of Lore Watch. It was a little bit longer than usual, but I'm pretty sure that people aren't going to complain about that because we had a lot to talk about. Thank you guys, as always, for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. Bye.